the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, episode 153. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast and that's not it you can share our show on social media or with your friends and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on itunes all of this helps our little show immensely and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts now on to the show hey sandra good morning how are you i am i'm all right i'm okay Yeah. Yeah. I am okay. As we're recording this, it is on a Tuesday. So I don't know, still beginning of the week (laughs) and I'm still, I, my weekend was so like back to back busy. I told my husband, I'm, I need Monday to recover from the weekend. Like I, Mm -hmm. like no rest to be had except my normal eight hours of sleep, which I do get almost every night, but still it was just a lot of kid activity and just a lot of kid activity actually um but uh yeah so I'm still kind of like I don't know deer in the headlights a little bit (laughs) um I spent the whole weekend making videos for my online course gosh Mm -hmm. that is not fun yeah that is just not fun just staring at myself (laughs) No, I'm about to do some, I think, cause you know, I'm reworking my, my spark mm-hmm. into an email course and I think I'm going to add a, some little short videos. So yeah, I'm about to do the same. I think I'm super, not fun. Well, I'm super visual, so I definitely want it. Right. But it's just um, a little bit of the inner critic starts getting loud. Right. Um, then I'm concerned with how I look, which I'm uh, typically not all that concerned with how I look. But, you know, it's kind of magnified how I'm talking. Oh, I didn't right. realize my mouth did that. Oh, that's weird. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. just kind of that. And then even, then even more than that, it's just the actual technology part. So part of me, my son and his friend were going to help me do this project. And, of course, they're so busy that they have no time for me. And right. I was just like, I got to do it myself. And I, mm-hmm. I, I was almost emboldened going, I've got to practice what I preach here. I have to DIY it, do the thing that um, feels impossible. And yeah, it's not going to be perfect. I think that's okay. I think the women um, that are going to take the course are going to be okay with that. It's not going to seem as glossy. Um, it's definitely going to be valuable content, but it's just, it's going to be me doing it. Well, you don't have a filming crew. <laughs> you don't, I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, I don't. I don't travel around with me, but um, I'm my own crew. <laughs> right. So it's a lot of takes and it's a lot of um, you know, I don't have editing skills, so I can't do these. It's have to do it all in one take and it has to be good. And if I F up at the end of the take, I'm not skilled enough to edit that out. You know what I mean? So I am having to start all over again. And, and that was kind of what I did mm-hmm. all weekend long and got, mm-hmm. you know, I made some progress. I'm excited to share it. I know the content is good. I'm excited. I, I figured out I'm going to film a, my desk, not me. I'm going to film my hands and making. And my good friend, Amanda Grace just sent me so she's so sweet. She sent me some um, videos and tools and technology that she uses to do all of her things. She sent that all to me on WhatsApp. So I need to go check the, all that out. She's like, but I had to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Like I thought I could figure it all out by myself and I can't. And, but I will. 
I will. Mm-hmm. So I'm still working on it. <laughs> That's what's going on mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. You did some filming this weekend, yes? Or what my son, do? I, yeah, so I pee, I, I was a production assistant on my son's movie. Yeah, same thing, you know, he can't, uh, he is, um, you know, he's a cinematic arts student. And so he, there's a requirement to make movies, uh, you know, as a, as a class requirement. Plus, it's just his Plus he's passionate about it. And so he's written many scripts. The scripts are great. But then when it comes down to like employing other students to come help him with these movies, he waits till the last minute and then everyone's busy, same kind of thing. And so, uh, yeah, so I had to, I had to help him, um, (laughs) film his movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was the second weekend that we had done that. We started the weekend prior on a Sunday night. So this time I was glad it was on a Saturday night as opposed to a Sunday night. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it was really fun though. Yeah. My kids. Um, yeah, I don't know. His brain is interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's cool that you get to be part of that. I know. I know. I know. Uh, Our friend Lori Massicott posted something about, she you know, posts a lot about being an empty nester because it's new for her. And she was talking about how, you know, it's true that, you know, when they're in your house, it just flies by. And then when they're not, it, the time just stops. It just creeps on. So I, after reading her say that I've, I've like really, I'm really trying to keep that in the forefront of my head. It's like this time is short. It's precious. Yeah, it is. Uh, do you have any, be gone. Do you have anything you want to promote before we? Um, I'm sorry, I'm jumping. I'm sorry to cut you off. You did, but that's sorry. Right. <laughs> um, we're we're not. I'm not very professional today. Sorry. <laughs> um, do I have anything to promote? Yes, uh, I'm still taking on another, probably two two more. I can take on two more clients for Change Your Story. It's an opportunity to work with me one on one. If you have a project or an idea or something that you would like to see uh, come to life out of your head and out of your dream world and into reality, I can help you with that. Just go to theunruffle.com and click on the button that says change your story and you can read all about it and sign up. Good. And my proof of life project will launch on the Equinox, March 19th, but you can go read about it on my homepage on my website at TammySolace.com. And uh, I had a live uh, Zoom call this weekend and a lot of former students showed up and that was so cool to ask questions or to talk about the program and say how it's helped them. One lady said, she's like, it's, it's um, one student said that she, you know, now has an art studio because of the and I was like, that's what you got out of it? And then the, another gal was so sweet. She's like, I've been working on this stuff for like six months out of all the content that you, you know, it was a four week course, but I've been, you know, doing it for six months. And I was like, oh, good. I'm so happy to hear that, that she could, you know, just keep practicing the things that I was um, lead and ta- teaching about. So yeah, it was exciting to chat and see everybody live. Oh, that's, uh, fun. that's fun. Yeah. So, okay. Our guest today is a friend yes. of mine and um, a very talented woman. So her name is Leilani Clark, and she is a food and culture writer based in Northern California. She was the editor of Made Local Magazine, which is a print magazine all about food and agriculture in Sonoma County. And Leilani's writing has been featured at Mother Jones, The Guardian, Sonoma Magazine, TimeMagazine.com, FoodandWine.com, and Edible Marin and Wine, and wine Country. Um, she was also a 2014 California Endowment Health Reporting Fellow, and her feature story about a federal crackdown on Northern California medical marijuana dispensaries won a California Newspaper Publishers Association Award in 2013. She graduated with a BA in English Literature from the University of San Diego and an MFA in Writing and Consciousness from the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco. Um, Recently, and we talk about this in the podcast, um, she contributed to an anthology called All of Me, Stories of Love, Anger, and the Female Body, and in that anthology she writes about she writes an essay that is about her experience getting sober and it's called last drink um 
Yeah. So if you want to find um, Leilani, she doesn't do a ton of social media, but you can learn more about her at her website, LeilaniClark.com. It's L-E-I-L-A-N-I-N-A. Oh, I'm sorry. I just totally screwed that up. Sorry, everyone. The link will be in the show notes, by the way. It's LeilaniClark.com. You, um, she said you can email her. She talks about that at the end of the podcast, and it's Clark.L-E-I-L at gmail.com. And she's on Twitter, um, so she has a little social media presence, Twitter at L-E-I-L Clark. Yeah, that was great. I hope you guys enjoy Leilani. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Leilani. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Good morning, Leilani. Good morning. Can you tell our listeners where they are chatting, where we're chatting to you from? Um, yeah, sure. So I live um, in Northern California, um, not too far from Tammy, actually. Um, I'm more, I'm definitely in the sort of urban core of the area of Sonoma County. Um, Whereas Tammy gets the beautiful countryside. <laughs> but yeah, so um, I, I'm actually in the town that was, uh, the city that was hit really hard by the wildfires in 2017. And mm. uh, that was pretty traumatic. And part of my sobriety story as well, too, for sure. Oh. So, Oh, interesting. Now, were you affected personally or just, it was just around you surrounding you well I was definitely I mean I think anyone who lives sure in Sonoma I, County I guess was, I meant um but yeah, yeah I mean I knew your house I knew people who lost their houses my house is fine mm-hmm. um we're you know we're not on the outskirts of town which was much more impacted although weirdly like my neighbor's house burnt down that night oh, and wow. we're still not sure if the two were connected but it was it was pretty gnarly, <laughs> to yeah. you know, I mean, and it, it, it was just, I literally came out of my house at like, you know, 930 and my, well, my husband went outside first and then he's like, oh my God. And I was like, that doesn't sound good. And I went out and there was like a wall of flames across the street and the house was on fire. Oh, that's frightening. And the, you know, the winds that night were very strong. That's why the fire spread yeah. so badly throughout the rest of the town. And so it was, I was running around the house grabbing things and just, yeah, it was scary. (laughs) So, yeah, that was on a Sunday night. It was on a Sunday night. It was, we were just talking about that, Tammy. It was right. It was that day that Laura did that um, yoga workshop in San Francisco. That's right. Her and Holly or just Laura? I think it was just Laura. It was super intense. And (laughs) it was, yeah. um, Anyways. Yeah. We were down at Love Story Yoga with Natalie and Sasha and all the gals and um, yeah, Laura McCowan. I think it was the bigger yes hmm and yeah um, that's what it and, was yeah and, um yeah that was that was quite a night yeah really so. yeah really grateful that we were sober you know yeah night. me too sure Definitely. well let, let's let's circle back and kind of go back to um your drinking story you know you've listened to the podcast we kind of try to tidy it up and and just kind of give us the down and dirty and um and then then we can move on to all the beautiful other things that you're working on and how you've been evolving and and you really work really hard I know on your recovery and I don't even know if you use that word but I know that you work really hard on self discovery and I'd love to talk about that so why don't you share with our listeners I think you just had a birthday I did yeah so my um my sobriety anniversary is February twenty sixth twenty it was 2017. So yeah, yeah, I just reached three years, which was oh, congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Also beautiful. And also I cried a lot that day. I was surprised. So mm. yeah. Um, but yeah, it feels, you know, three years feels good. I never thought that I would, I would make it to three years. <laughs> so right. yeah. What was, yeah your, what, same. Was your plan? <laughs> what was your, what was your initial thoughts then? Was it just like 30 days or? Oh, when I first, yeah. I mean, so yeah, the, the going back, I mean, I feel like, um, like a lot of people that I've heard on the show, like I was sort of ramping up for a very, very long time before I actually quit drinking completely. I mean, I quit drinking when I was 43 and I would say I probably knew when I was, you know, 16 <laughs> when I first drank that it wasn't a good idea for me. Um, but I just, you know, it, it didn't seem, and actually, I don't know, should I just 
go yeah. that far back right now? Do whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. And this is something I tell people is like, I, so, um, like I was super nerdy when I was in high school. I mean, not, I mean, it's hard. No, it's hard to tell now because right. it's so cool, but <laughs> I know that. <laughs> I know that about you, Leilani. <laughs> um, still, I know like, I was nerdy nor like I, <laughs> right. um, but I, you know, and, and I, I, I had a lot of anxiety and I was, really wanted to do I was really good in school and I had I felt like a lot to prove you know um, neither of my parents went to college grew up very working class in Los Angeles um, my dad was a house painter my mom worked at a grocery store uh, in the deli and I was like I'm going to college I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make something of myself and so I was very like obsessed with doing really well in school and then <clears throat> And I did really well. And then when I was um, 16, I met the goths and the punks, which was amazing and fantastic and totally changed my life. But that's also when I kind of discovered partying and, and drinking. So, um, you know, uh, I didn't go the straight edge route of punk rock. And, um, and can you guys still hear me? Cause my, yeah, absolutely. Sound great. Sound great. Okay, cool. Um, so, so, you know, I started hanging out with the person who is currently still my best friend, Tammy, you know, you know her. I freaking love um, her. Yeah. And she, she lives up here now too, but we grew up, we were down in LA and I met her and I, you know, I just like, I, I wrote about this in the essay. Like I still remember the first time I had those wine coolers in Hacienda Heights and the Smiths were playing and we were hanging out with all these like weird goth guys. And, um, it just felt like, Oh, like this is really great. And I want to keep doing this. And I drank I kinda, so much Bartles and James. I know, we're going to so get to your essay. going to get to your essay so that our listeners will know what we're talking about. Yeah. But yeah. I drank so much Bartles and James. And yeah. I can't probably say 1988. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. This was, uh, this was about 1990. In my defense, <laughs> I never got into Zima. So oh, I no, no, no Zima. That's, I drew the line at Zima. What the hell? No, oh. I, I, that was, that was my drink so that I could finally know how to burp. So yeah, <laughs> I don't drink that anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, um, but you know, like I spent like that, that year, that would have been like my junior or senior year. Like I still did well in school, but I was also like just you know getting really into like this whole like subculture. It was it was great, mm -hmm. but um and and started drinking a lot on the weekends and you know um that kind of stuff. And so when I graduated from high school, and here was the other thing too is like I was infamous for always being the one who like ruined the party at the end of the night because I would start crying pretty much every single time. Like I'd end up out on the curb, falling mm -hmm. and miserable. Like, I mean, I was infamous for that amongst my friends. And of course they didn't know what to do with me and they thought I was just annoying. But, um, mm -hmm. and that was a sign, right? Like, this right. Were you like, you. The, yeah, the one that kind of had to be taken care of or yeah, fell yeah. apart. Yeah. I would always fall apart. And a lot, and like I said, it would manifest a lot as crying. Um, mm -hmm. And which I did anyways, I had a lot, like I said, I, even when I wasn't partying and stuff, I was very anxious. I had probably a lot of undiagnosed depression, probably PTSD. You know, I grew up in an alcohol, alcoholic household. My dad quit drinking though when I was 11, but it was enough time, you know, um, and we have a beautiful relationship now, probably a big part as a result of him quitting. But, um, but I had a lot of stuff, you know, from that. So I would, I, I cried anyways, even when I wasn't drinking, but the drinking would just kind of amplify it. So when I graduated, I actually quit drinking for a couple of years. Um, and I, I was able to do that just as like a, I must've been about 18. Um, and from like 18 to about 20, I didn't touch alcohol. And I was like, and I hung out with people who drank, you know, and that's, I was still like getting even more involved in punk and starting to play music myself and making zines and all this stuff. But I just, I didn't drink. I wasn't straight edge. I just didn't consume alcohol. And um, it's interesting when I think back now that I was able to have that wherewithal to do that. 
Um, did you want to be good, Leilani? Was there a certain element of you that was wanting to? Like, I think so. Right. Yeah. I yeah, didn't drink definitely. between 18 and 21, and it was very oh. much like I thought, thought I was better than everybody else. Yeah, I there was had, definitely an element to that, and like, yeah, for sure. And I wasn't mm-hmm. doing any like work around it or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also really, my parents had, my parent. we lived in LA in a town called Whittier, which is like, I consider my hometown. Um, we moved there, we actually lived in Hawaii until I was six, um, and then we moved back to LA, to Whittier, and then when I was, um, after I graduated, my parents bought a house in San Diego, in like North San Diego, which is where they still currently live. And um, I moved down there with them and I was very isolated too. I didn't know anybody. I just kind of, so I don't think it was necessarily healthy either. Like my drinking was related to that isolation that I kind of put myself into. Um, I, but I did really well in school. So yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so super when, high functioning, right? Like this wasn't high functioning. You, you, you were just sure. ramping up your drinking until you got into your forties. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, so then when I was like, you, like Tammy, you said when you you went to about twenty one. I mean, at, when I hit about twenty, I started. I just had a, you know, I kind of had developed a friend group um, down in in San Diego, and I don't even remember when I was just like screw it. I'm going to drink again. You know, I don't remember that moment. Um, but I did definitely start again and I kind of just full force jumped into it. Um, I was, um, I was in community college at the time. Still, like I said, like high functioning, did really well in school. Um, I ended up going to UC San Diego and getting in there and, but I was like drinking through the whole thing and, Mm. um, kind of living two lives. Like, UC San Diego is like a a really tough school you know it's not academically it was very challenging but I would go to class hungover um Mm. I I was you know I would party a lot on the weekends I went to and it was just wound up in the in the culture too I mean yeah I think I want to say it's easy for me to say everyone's college experience was like that because mm -hmm. all because that is representative of my experience and my friend group. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it is common, right? And when you, all of your friends are doing the same thing, it doesn't seem like a problem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And although when I think about it too, I did have friends who, like, I remember my roommate who I'm still friends with, but my longtime roommate, she didn't really drink much at all. Like it was interesting. And so, and my best friend didn't drink at all either. mm -hmm. You know, if I have to get, you know, if I'm forced to really like, is that true? (laughs) My best friend didn't drink because they were migraines. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting how like I did have people in my life that weren't, but you know, I had a lot of people that were, and it, you know, and I think Sandra, you might um, have something similar. Like I, I came from that whole, like, like going to see shows all the time, all playing, the time. You know, playing in bands. Like by the time I was 21, I was like playing in bands myself. And I had a lot to prove as like a front woman of a, of a punk band and I could like drink like everybody else and I could drink even more, you know, that was a big part of my, it became a big part of like my, my feminist identity, which Mm, is mm -hmm. something I'm kind of grappling with thinking about now. Um, like that wasn't feminist, but in my mind it was like, Oh, I can drink whiskey. I could, I had something to prove. Right. Um, and, and, you know, obviously everything like, I'd go to a party and like, I'd start drinking and then I'd be like kind of the star of the show. So it mm-hmm. was serving me in a way at the time. And it let me kind of get out of that nerdy shell and become kind of cool. It was, it was interesting. And I kind of carried that for years up in th- into my like early thirties. Um, like it, it didn't, I didn't really have a period of time in that period, even though I was like achieving a lot, I was also like doing living that lifestyle as well. You know, um, I went on tour, I I had an interesting moment. So another part of my journey, I would definitely say is, um, I, when I was 26, I was playing in a couple of bands and then I ended up, a friend of mine had like this solo project and he asked me to go on tour with him, like across the United States. Um, which I still like, I'm so glad I had that experience, but I remember like sitting, um, in a bar somewhere, you know, like, uh, like somewhere in the South or whatever. There was a lot of, as you can imagine, we were in bars pretty much every single night. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
if I keep going on this route, I'm going to be the worst alcoholic. <laughs> like, mm. I just knew I was like, or the best. Like, what was that? Or the best. Yeah. I mean, I know we're the best, right? Or the best. Mm -hmm. And I just remember having this realization at 26, like if I, cause I was kind of having to make a choice. Like, do I want to pursue music? Cause I had friends who were legitimately pursuing that path and who have done really well, have like bought houses and are supporting their families still. And I was like, I can go down the music sort of that route or go become a teacher or something or use my English degree and kind of get out of that lifestyle. And so I had that realization while I was on tour. And I remember I got back and um, I ended up, I had graduated at that point already with the degree in English lit. Um, and then I, I applied to Teach for America because um, I was like, okay, I need to just do something drastically different. And I remember I had a choice. Sorry, my daughter's making lots of noise it's okay in the it's real life um, <laughs> I uh it's amazing how much noise a seven-year-old can make just <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> it's okay. um so I remember I came back from tour and then a few months later I applied to Teach for America and uh, and then it was like you had to pick what region you went to and for the first time they were doing a New Mexico region like on the Navajo Nation and they then they don't there's no alcohol allowed on the reservation this is the geographical what do they call it the geographical cure geographic <laughs> yeah they right. didn't allow alcohol on the the navajo nation and that was like when the teach for america so i got accepted to teach for america and then it was like well where do you want to go you had all these choices chicago la san francisco atlanta navajo nations new mexico and so that's what i picked and um mm. and i was accepted it was the very first time very first they call them cores and there was 26 people accepted and so like there i was i was 26 and i was leaving san diego leaving this whole lifestyle i had developed a lot of friends at that point um like really like it was just like really like entrenched in san diego at that point and i was like i'm going to new mexico and i won't be able to drink there funny now that they got that because they don't, <laughs> al they don't allow alcohol. So there's my solution. Mm -hmm. And isn't uh, that interesting too, that, that there wasn't a third choice that you could continue to be a musician and not drink. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like we can't even imagine that you, yeah. you know, could, could continue doing the thing that you love doing and just not drink. It's just things get so intertwined. You can't yeah, exactly. separating the two. It didn't even cross my mind at that point to like try to quit drinking in in San Diego. Right. Like that wasn't even it was like I need something really drastic and I don't even know if consciously I was like I'm going to quit drinking, you know. It was more like I'm going to try to put something here to curb my drinking. In the way right. of your drinking, yeah. Right, like it's all it's uh, we're all like I did it too. We all reach it's all like outside consequences these or these other things outside of us are going to affect our drinking when, you know, eventually we discover that it's actually all an inside job. <laughs> exactly. Right. And I didn't want to face that. So right. And then, of course, when I found when I went out there that somehow people managed to get alcohol in the reservation. Hmm, who knew? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> there's a will, there's of a way. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And then on Sundays when they don't sell liquor, even in the, in the, because it was what, I forgot what they call it, but where they don't sell alcohol on Sundays, like yeah. in the stores. It's a blue law or something. Blue law, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you would drive off the reservation, because I lived on the reservation, um, and I, or Navajo, I try to call it Navajo Nation as opposed to reservation. But um, yeah, I would, you know, you just drive up and you'd stock up on Saturday. Oh, yeah. Uh, I used to drive down to New Mexico when I lived in Durango. I lived in a Four Corners area there. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, we would drive down to New Mexico to do the shopping and things. But um, yeah. Did you that, go to Gallup? Yeah. That's where I lived outside of. I lived in oh. a place called Tohatchee, which yes. was about... Did you, you know Tohatchee? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, Lailani, we were always meant to be friends. <laughs> I know, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Okay, There's literally two gas stations in Tohatchee and like a post office and that's it. Yeah. That's more than my town has now. So yeah. That's true. <laughs> 
<laughs> you do have the good pie there, though. That's so true. We do have good pie in Valley Ford. Um, okay, so yeah. I know we don't have you for a long time this morning, so I want to kind of move us on in your story, if that's all yeah. right. Yeah, definitely. Can you help us get to, you wrote this incredible essay called Last Drink that was part of an anthology called All of Me, Stories of Love, Anger, and the Female Body. And you sent Sandra and I a copy. Thank you very much. Yes. Excuse me. Thank you. You're in very good company in this book of essays as well. Yeah. And you wrote about your last drink. And I was wondering, I don't know if you want to read a passage from there, Leilani, if you'd like to just tell the listeners how it came to be or tell us about your last drink. Um, Sure. I know it intertwines a lot, motherhood, shame, all, all kinds of things. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that that kind of journey that I was talking about just kind of went on for another few years. Um, yeah. And then it wasn't really, um, and I drank all through my 30s, but still kind of just like, the thing was I like I would binge too, you know, mm-hmm. so I could manage to not go for a, a while. And then I would go to like a party where I felt like it was allowed. And then the next day I wake up with the hangover. And I just kind of kept doing that through my 30s, still achieving though, you know, I got a mat, I got two masters, like I got a master's degree in New Mexico in education. And then I, I, um, got my MFA in writing in 2008. And that was when I was like in my late thirties. And, um, and then it basically, it changed when I had my daughter. So I, I didn't have my daughter until I was 39. And, um, I most likely if I hadn't had her, I would probably still be drinking, um, mm. unless something else big had happened but um and I kept kind of trying to keep doing what I was doing you know even until if I was 43 I quit when she was three but there's just like a that's a special hell like waking up with a two-year-old hungover oh it (laughs) sure is yep I mean and I know you have both been there it's just Mm. the I don't know I mean there was a lot of shame with that for sure. I already had shame around drinking. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't have, we've all lived it. Like all the choices I made that I never would have made if I hadn't been drinking the people I got involved with. I mean, it, the list goes on. Um, the situations I ended up in where I was like, where, why how did I end up here? Like, um, right. Was, which got, which that right there challenges that whole, you know, drinking as a feminist choice. Yeah. Um, statement exactly right mm-hmm. exactly yeah because it took away my I gave my agency up, up when I did completely. that completely mm-hmm. right and Love I wasn't that. living from my integrity and who I really felt myself to be right so um, and then being a mother on top of that and the struggles that were already there for me like motherhood has not been easy um it doesn't yeah. motherhood hasn't really come naturally to me and um, which is a weird thing to say. I mean, does it really, I think it's a myth that there's like a perfect mother out there. That's such a, mm-hmm. um, sorry, Gwyneth Paltrow, but it's just, not, <laughs> you know, right. um, well, everything. Yeah. yeah. It just comes from this intuitive place. Uh, yeah. But definitely like drinking took me away from any semblance that I we even have had of that, you know, it just put me totally out of touch with where I could be as a mother. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's where I kind of, that, um, when I was 43, so Tammy, back to your original question, that's sort of what led mm-hmm. up, led up to that. I, I try, so I started, okay. And this, I get into this in the essay. I started seeing this therapist and she was like a cognitive behavioral therapist. And, um, I remember I went and I was like, I need to deal with my anger. I have a lot of anger and I directed at my daughter. I remember that was my initial sort of, this is why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And then within a couple of sessions, she's like, you, you should read, you should, cons- you need to think about your drinking. And I was like, what? <laughs> how, yeah. dare you? how dare you? How dare We're so you? We're so transparent, <laughs> right? We are so transparent to other, especially like yeah professionals that we kind of reach out to. It's so yeah. transparent, but if, I know I didn't think I was that transparent. I was like, what? Yeah. That is absolutely untrue. I have, I am depressed. I have de- the depression. Yeah. <laughs> the depression. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It has nothing to do with 
my, you know, my security blankets. Right. The copious amounts of alcohol I'm guzzling every single night because I'm yeah. loathing in the morning. Yeah, no, it has nothing to do. And with I will it. say, Tammy, on that, I, I definitely, I was definitely more of like a gray area drinker. I mean, mm-hmm. I had people, I wasn't guzzling copious amounts every night, you know, like I actually, a lot of people when I quit were like, why? Like, you're not mm-hmm. that bad. Um, because what by the time like I was, for, you? for me, it looked more like, um, it, you know, a glass or two at night of mainly wine. I also got really into craft beer, you know, for a while, because that was a great way to be, oh, I'm really, you know, I like to collect weird, obscure beers, beers because I'm so, you know, mm-hmm. so I went down that route for a while. And I mean, it's easy around here. It, like mm-hmm. I, I live a, a mile from Russian River Brewery, which is like the famous brewery that every, you know, like people fly from like Japan to go get their beers. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So it was, it was like supported here. Um, so, you know, a lot of that, like going to the pub and, mm-hmm. you know, getting the, the bony fingers from Moonlight Brewing, like the, and kind of cultivating that kind of thing, but also you like having one too many. Yeah. So I would have, instead of one pint, I would manage to have three, which of a, three pints of a strong beer is like, that's hang, a hung, hangover in the morning. Right. So it looked more like that. And then occasionally, like I was saying, if my husband was out of town or, um, cause he didn't like my drinking um, mm. and he doesn't drink that much. He doesn't drink at all anymore. And he didn't drink that much at all. Definitely not the way I did. He basically drank because I drank. Right. Um, so, uh, if he was not around or I was going to a party where, you know, there was a lot of alcohol, then I would do that kind of binge thing. And that was about like once every couple of months at that point but that's enough. <laughs> yeah. So that's more what it looked like as opposed to like, I yeah. wasn't drinking in the morning I wasn't hiding yeah. bottles. I, I probably was hiding bottles a little bit, you know, um, or like surprised at how quickly I got through a bottle of wine. Um, I've always thought I was a little bit kind of probably like allergic to alcohol too. Um, because of course it's a toxin, <laughs> and it's right. poison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. but I always like was very prone to like um, throwing up and how, even when I was in my twenties, I, I would get really, really sick. Even if I drank kind of the, the same amount, I'm doing that in square quotes as everybody else. Right. So I was always sort of like, I think more impacted by it. So like right before, so in 2016, I was seeing that therapist and she was like, you need to consider, you know, think about your drinking. And so I was like, okay, fine. So I think I tried to do like 30 days, but just sort of by myself you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to go 30 days without drinking. And then, well, somebody that we all know was elected to the presidency. Mm-hmm. And that night I had, I think I had been like two, I had gone about two weeks and I just like lost it and was so like devastated. And, um, this friend of mine up the street uh, was like posting on Instagram that she had like wine or was drinking wine. And I like ran, literally like ran up to her house and was mm. like, give me the wine and just like, drink, you know, trying to drink away the, the, the pain that the election was bringing up for me. Yeah. And, um, I kind of like that started me again. And I remember, um, I kind of drank through the holidays and stuff. Um, and then in early 2017, it's a little bit hazy. I, I committed again, you know, as most people do, like January 1st or January 2nd, um, and um, made it a few weeks. And then something kind of like traumatic happened in my life that I don't want to get into here. Sure. And, um, and that, um, so I did that, I kind of started drinking again after a couple weeks. And then I, I found this, so like, February 26th, I had my last drink, which I get into in the essay. And it was just another one of those nights. It wasn't a big, crazy party. I was just like at my friend's house and we were watching the Oscars. I was dealing with some trauma from the things that happened in my life. And I just was like, just drank a bunch of wine with her. And I woke up the next day and I just felt so horrible. And I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to be getting my kid ready for preschool feeling like I'm going to throw up like this is, and then having to go to the school and drop her off and everything, you know, 
And it's a good, it's such a good essay how you, um, well, you, you realized too that when you woke up that you had driven your daughter yeah. home mm-hmm. and, you know, which um, many, many of us have been guilty of. I know yeah. I have for certain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just the way that you described like the taste of your mouth and how you mm-hmm. felt when you woke up. I mean, just reading that paragraph right there, I was like, yep, that there you go. That if I ever need to be reminded again, I could just reread the paragraph you just wrote mm-hmm. about what it's like to wake up with a hangover. It's so, and then having to, yeah, get your daughter, your daughter had woken up in the middle of the night with a nightmare and mm-hmm. having to, yeah, get up and deal with that. And, you know, and you're not even in your right mind. It's just, no. Exactly. Insanity. I wasn't capable of being there for her. I yeah. Mean, how sad is that? You know? yeah. I, well, I mean, I'm, I'm laughing out of just, so I don't yeah. cry. Yeah. yeah, no. No, you're not alone, Leilani. Yeah, no, not alone. I liked what you wrote in the essay too. You talked about um, that you wanted liberation mm-hmm. and that you took recovery on like a project. And yeah. I definitely feel that was for me as well. And I was wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit about that. And I mean, I know we met um, early on in your journey, right? You and I did. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you were part of that project for sure. Um, oh, great. With, yeah. The ray, the ray of light for sure. Ah. Um, I, I did, I knew, so I, you know, that next day I woke up it was February 26, 2017. And I just was like, I can't do this alone. I just can't. And so I signed up for that online program. It was called Sexy Sobriety. And it was like a three month sort of online, you know, I didn't have to tell anyone I wasn't drinking because it was all online and she'd send things out every day and I would, you know, sort of do everything. And um, so that started getting me through. And then I started like piecing together, you know, things. So I'm not sure how I found your, the Ray of Light interview series, but I stumbled across that and it was like, that was my thing. Like every Friday, I think you put it out every Friday yeah, I and that would be sort of like my reward for making it through the week was like, Oh, I can read. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to read the next interview and get super inspired by whoever was being interviewed. And, um, and then know that I'm kind of on the same path. And that made me feel really good. Oh, I didn't know that Leilani. That's nice. Yeah, for sure. And then there was a few, I think I, came across like Holly's work at that point. And yeah. It's like, once you kind of start following the hashtags or, yeah. you, just, you know, you follow one person, they mention another person you can spend. Yeah. You can easily fall down that sobriety recovery rabbit hole. That's exactly what, it, what happened. Um, I, you know, I started listening to the podcast, the home podcast and, um, and finding, I was, I'm not on Instagram anymore, actually. And that's, a whole, that would be a whole nother interview of my, my relationship <laughs> with social media, my contested relationship with social media. But at the time I was on Instagram. And so I was like, like you said, Sandra, just going down all the threads and being like, oh, there's so much great stuff here. Um, and then, so I was, and then I think, um, Tammy, I think I emailed you because I, mm-hmm. of course, was on your blog stalking you. And then I was like, right. oh my gosh, she lives close to me. And so I sent you an email. You totally wrote me back and it was so nice. Um, which led to me going to the women's meeting, the AA meeting. And oh yeah. I, think, I invited you to, I, I was like, well, join me at the women's meeting. That's, that's yeah. Really and I had gone to AA kind of off and on throughout the years, you know, it was something like my, my grandfather, I should, it should mention too. Um, um, my mom's father is, has been sober. He's an old, old timer. He's literally mm-hmm. very old. He's like 93 at this point. <laughs> yeah. And he was, he, he was, a you know, his drinking got pretty bad and he got sober through AA. So I was really familiar, you know, it's like, here comes grandpa again, talking about, you know, what, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, what was the one about being stupid? He, that was like one of his favorite ones, you know, mm-hmm. um, so you were familiar with some of the language and keep it. Yeah, very much so. And so I, yeah. knew, you know, I had gone to AA off and on. So it was like, but it was still really hard to go because I was committed to not drinking at that point that I went to that meeting with you, Tammy. And that was really scary for me, like early and, on. And did we, did we like sit in the front row? I think so. <laughs> Poor yeah. Leilani. Oh I'm like, oh, I see the seat for you. We're like in the slam front row, front row yeah. seat. Like, and I was like, I don't want anyone to see me. <laughs> you better hide in the back. <laughs> yeah. Which I still kind of do. I still go to meetings <laughs> off and on and I, I still like aim for the back. It's so silly. No, I always see you after the meeting. You're like, oh, I've been here. And I was like, oh, wait, where are you going? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I did that. And then, uh, you know, I was listening to a lot of the podcasts and, and, 
doing this and going to my, see my therapist and checking in with her, which was great. Um, I highly recommend if people, I was able to get therapy through my health insurance. So it was not expensive at all. And I, everybody should have access to that. Like mm. everybody should have access to yeah. like a really good therapist if they need it. Cause she, she was really another reason I wouldn't be here without her. Mm. And then, um, and then about three months in, I started going to refuge recovery meetings. Um, I, I had been familiar with the founder of Refuge Recovery from his other books about Buddhism and stuff. And then uh, kind of was like, what is this Refuge Recovery? Which is, it's a, it's a, twel- it's a Buddhist approach to um, recovery. And it's not just recovery from alcohol, it's drugs, food, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and so it turned out that there was a refuge meeting, like literally like two blocks from my house. And I was like, okay, this is a sign. And, um, and so I started going to those and that like for about a year, I went to my refuge recovery meeting every single Saturday. And so it was that, it was actually the ray of light was one of my linchpins for the week. And then my refuge meeting on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. Um, and that without those, all those pieces, I couldn't have strung together that first year of sobriety. Mm. Um, and then also, so yeah, I just refuge was a big part of it. Um, And I needed the, basically the meetings were like readings, all like Buddhist based readings. um, And then that element that is also in 12 step, which is like talking for the last half and sharing and sharing stories. Yeah. was So that part is so powerful. Like when you're just like, oh, all of these people have been through this as well. Like I'm not special, which is Mm -hmm. so liberating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and that's think, the that's yeah. the most special part of any fellowship. And that's the part that yeah, and it right, it it can be whatever 12 step or it can be a book club or it can be whatever, yeah. but it's just that part of sh- hearing your story told through told by someone else. Exactly. Is very powerful. Exactly. And um you know who Leslie Jameson that book The Recovery? Yes. Yeah. Holy cow. I just highly book. recommend that to everybody. I and she gets into that really deeply in that book and so powerfully. So um, Mm -hmm. the importance of that community and the sharing of stories. And so that was, you know, that was really important for me. And then the other part was just, um, uh, and I was still listening to podcasts. I did hip sobriety. That was another piece of, 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 that I needed. Um, So I ended up doing hip sobriety, I think about six months in to when I quit drinking. So I was doing that and refuge. I mean, I was, you really took the a lot at it. Yeah, you I did. did. Yeah. <laughs> I needed to. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, yeah, I just, I had to. It was like survival. Mm-hmm. Um, You're saving then, your own life. Exactly. That's how it felt. That's yeah. how it felt. And, and also just that reward too of being, you know, being present for my daughter and um, feeling like, even though it was really hard and still sometimes still I'm like, this is so hard. Like, why don't I have an easy out <laughs> from the challenges that come up from being a working mother and marriage and all those things. But, um, but yeah, so. I've seen a change in you though, Leilani, like the yeah. shift since I've gotten to know you. Um, we used to do a monthly tea and toolboxes meeting and meet mm-hmm. up with other gals and share tools that we were using. And just your glow. I saw you a couple of weeks ago when you came to my art um, reception with your friend mm-hmm. and you were just glowing. <sighs> you just seem happy in your eyes. Like there's just nothing like a sober person's eyes, right? They just sparkle. They're just, you just know it. Yeah. And sitting there with you and your best friend and one of my new friends, um, Erica, that I introduced, you guys were talking about music and the beautiful yeah. plays and punk rock <laughs> and shows you're going to go see. And it was just like, I took back, I went a step back and I took a picture of every, everybody gathering around the table and my paintings in the background. And I was so moved. Yeah. You, you just looked, um, you looked happy. Yeah, I was. I had also come from like this big, um, we, we'd all come from this big, like, community seed exchange where they were just giving out all these free seeds and I garden too. That's another one of my, probably in my toolkit. And so I was like super high off of like free seeds. What? (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) Well, I have a question. So you now are, you do a lot of food writing and you're right in the middle of wine country. Mm -hmm. How, how is that? Is that a, a, 
how, how do you face those kind of challenges? You yeah, have to that's definitely about food yeah. and wine. <laughs> well, I yeah, that's definitely um, been an interesting part of all of this for sure. Like, yeah, I mean, that's a book in itself, right? Like, getting sober in wine country. Like, what? <laughs> and um, and yeah, so before I got before I quit drinking, I had already I was the editor um, of a local regional uh, food magazine, and we covered the food system. So it was like everything. And honestly, like I was like, we just don't cover wine. Like, I think it's boring. I don't think it's interesting. I mean, all respect to like, there are farmers and people out there making their living off of wine. And I totally respect that. But for me, it was like, you know, for obvious reasons I wasn't talking about too. Like, I was like, I'm just not going to touch that subject. There's plenty of other things to write about. So mm -hmm. I never really did the, the, the wine thing. Hmm. Um, but, and then if there was like alcohol related stuff, um, cause things did come up and there were the occasional wine stories. I would just assign them out to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, in my editor inbox, there were always like invitations to go to wine tastings and, um, events and come in this and go do this for free. And I would have loved that before, you know, but I would just delete it. Be like, oh, I'm not going to that. Nobody ever really <laughs> noticed. Um, right. <laughs> Right. And so, but I could have used that, right, as an excuse, like, oh, well, this is just part of my job, and oh, I keep getting all these invitations, so, but I just, you know, I had all these other things that were bolstering me to not drink, and so I was able to just know the right choice for me, and just delete it, you know, you know, you don't have to participate, yeah. but yeah, it's been interesting, and to be honest, like, um, I, so I, I was the editor of the magazine up until December, and that was my last issue. I decided for various reasons not to continue, but it's kind of a relief, like not even to mm -hmm. have to factor that into my daily life anymore and, right. and do that balance of, like I said, even assigning out the stories. And I just have kind of exited it completely. Like my current work is in nonprofit communications for like an environmental organization. And, um, I don't come across, I don't have to deal with that tension anymore. Right. Right. It's and now really you, yeah, I'm sure it feels more true to your values and yeah, yeah, it really does. So yeah, that's, you know, and, um, I might go back to the food writing, but right now I'm kind of like on hiatus and focusing on this other work and then focusing on, um, an essay collection that I'm working on. So it feels, it feels good. It feels like the right choice. Well, you're so creative. I mean, you play the ukulele. I know that you do that <laughs> and you have little shows and gigs. And um, I know you're such a great writer and an editor and you um, garden, obviously you said, but isn't it great to pour yourself into those things again? Oh yeah. Um, with, with a different kind of, um, with a whole different vibe because you're fully present for it. Yeah, exactly. And that feels, I, I know one of the, the, the questions that you had talked about was, like how my creativity has changed. Yeah. And um, I definitely, I mean, especially, see, I've always been, even when I was really young, I knew, I, I was always like really drawn to the more like quiet, introspective, intellectual um, space. And, um, even, and, and, I, and drinking took me away from that. Um, and yeah, I can be really fun. And I can like totally make people laugh. And I do still really like a good party and a good dance party. Mm -hmm. But there's part of me that's like, I need that quiet, that introspection. Like that's where my my essays, my current essays come from, is that space. And I couldn't I couldn't get into that space when I was drinking. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm 46, but I still feel like some of my best work is ahead of me, which is crazy to think mm -hmm. about. It yeah, let's hang on to that thought. <laughs> 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 it is Leilani. It is. And I, um, you know, it's it's hard to not be like, oh, why didn't I do this when I was 20? Like I can't imagine what I might have achieved. But actually I have achieved a lot even without that. And mm -hmm. and you know, it's exciting to know what's ahead. Yeah, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I think in terms of my creativity, I feel like I've always been really creative. It's never been a problem for me to live from my creativity. Yeah. Um, and I attribute that, you know, like I said, to coming from that sort of punk rock DIY, you make your own, you, you don't have to wait for somebody to let you do something, you do it. And that was so cool to be doing that from an early age. But the, without the drinking, I feel like a, a haze has been kind of lifted. 
and yeah. I'm, I'm getting to the true like essence of what I want to create. Mm. So, yeah. Oh, I love that, Leilani. Um, I know that you have a time constraint here, so I know we need to let you go, but do you have your essay in front of you? And if you don't, can I read something from your essay? I, do, I don't have okay. it in front of me. So I'm going to read you your work. Okay. I hope that's not too <laughs> weird. But you wrote at the very end of your essay, a really beautiful paragraph about forgiveness and about um, like just kind of where you're at. So I'm going to read that and then we'll go to your three things. Sure. Sometimes when I remember to take the time to sit on my pillow and close my eyes, I meditate on forgiveness. I asked my daughter to forgive me for being a human mother with all my flaws and thirsty genetics, for having a craving that I couldn't master, for putting us in danger because I didn't know anything else. I forgive myself over and over again. Most days, monkey mind still has its way with me. Calm is elusive, and I wonder how I can make it through a lifetime without having another drink. What the fuck? In the midst of the craving, anger, sadness, self-pity, I tell myself a term you'll hear a lot in refuge recovery circles. I love you. Keep going. I return to the breath. This moment. This moment. This moment. This moment. I am not drinking. This moment. I am free from the myth that plagued me for so many years. That alcohol made me whole. In this moment, I am liberated. In this moment, I breathe. That's beautiful, Leilani. Really beautiful. Thank you for coming on the show today and for sharing. It's such a vulnerable essay. And anybody that wants to read that, we'll put a link in the in the show notes for you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's always interesting to. I mean, that definitely. One thing I want to say is I don't go to refuge meetings anymore, and I want to. Um, right. And people can do there's it's easy to look up online sort of what happened with Noah Levine and some accusations mm -hmm. came out and it made me personally very uncomfortable um and especially using the book mm -hmm. and I'm not you know it's an evolving situation but for me I had to make the choice um that the discomfort was enough that I wasn't going to start drinking again if I didn't go to refuge meetings and that I had to kind of find a different way for myself yeah. But I still stand by a lot of what's in that paragraph. I mean, for sure. Um, yeah. And feel very similarly. So, um, yeah. Anyways, mm -hmm. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Well, you've been I, on a journey. You've been, like you said, yeah. you threw the book at it, right? And you were trying yeah. everything and you were uh, investigating. And that's what happens in recovery is that we all evolve. Exactly. Right? Yeah. We try things on for size. And what, what I feel one day or what I say one day, I might not have that opinion tomorrow. I might change my mind. Yeah. And we need to be allowed to do that. You know, I still tell oh, people, goodness, I mean, three yes. years in, I'm still in early sobriety. I'm still trying to like figure out yeah. what, I'm, what I'm doing. But I do know for sure that like not drinking is the, one of the best choices I have ever made. <laughs> yeah. That I know for sure. Even with the struggles and you know, like I said, when I hit three years last week, I thought it was going to be really celebratory, but I like cried a lot that day. Like mm -hmm. I was in mourning, but I woke up the next morning and I was like, ah, oh, another day yeah. <laughs> of liberation, you know, right. there was no question about it. And, and I, um, I don't go to refuge anymore, but I, I totally, I always say too, if I need to, I'll go to a 12 step meeting in a heartbeat before I would drink. Yeah. Um, it's, I love me. knowing it's there and, um, and that, you know, I, I just, I feel like in the essay, I kind of uh, wrote off AA and 12 step a little bit. That's just mm -hmm. where I was at at the time, but I don't believe that yeah. anymore. I would totally go. Yeah. Cause you can change. I know we meet up there sometimes and I'm I'll yeah. always be happy to meet you there. Well, yeah. And that's the key is to keep, to stay willing to try whatever, if something stops working, you're willing to try something else and mm -hmm. That's just how, that's how you do it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's important to share with our listeners too. It doesn't, it's not a sentence, right? <laughs> You're not AA for life if you mm -hmm. don't want to be, um, but whatever works. And I think that's the beauty of, of the recovery. You, you manage that. That's the feminist act, right? You get to decide what works. Yeah, exactly. I told someone yesterday, uh, I was like, I am, I am radically sober. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> with this new, like, um, and uh, like, 
how, like, I am making this, and of course, it's inspired by Holly Whitaker's work, you know, this is, I'm kind Mm -hmm. of just repeating what she's been saying, but, like, uh, I just, I always like, sort of, (laughs) I like being contradictory to, like, the main culture, it Mm -hmm. gives me pleasure. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you. Just a rebel. Exactly. (laughs) So, it it really has um, fed into that part of me, too, of, like, oh, I'm doing something different than a lot of people. This is a true feminist act. But I really do feel that way. Yeah. Feels I good. <laughs> well, shall we, Sandra, you want to take yeah. over this last part? Yeah. So at the end of the show, we always ask our guests to um, share with our listeners three things in your Unruffled Toolbox. And really all that means is things that are either creative or or related, directly related to recovery that help keep you sober or keep you on the side of okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have three things to share with our listeners today? Yeah, sure. So um, one of them definitely for me is dancing, um, specifically like kitchen dancing. I have this really good floor in my kitchen that feels like good on my feet and I can do spins on it and stuff really easily. So, I mean, I did this on Saturday. Um, Like if I'm feeling like a lot of edge or anxiety or I kind of need that old feeling of getting like ramped up, you know, Mm -hmm. because that was the thing about alcohol too, is it let me get like, you know, I'm naturally pretty exuberant and it would just let me kind of take that to the max. And so like, I'll just kind of get that feeling out like I'll put on, I have this mix on Spotify that I'll put on and I'll just let loose. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes my daughter will be part of it too. And she's, she's, she gets pretty into it too. Like the other day we were listening to Grimes, like I'm super into Grimes and, um, and it's just, you know, you can do just whatever move comes to you. The the more dramatic, the better. (laughs) Right. I love it. I like my Kate Bush. I like, yep. uh, you know, Kate Bush. There's a song called Love and Anger. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know that song. Oh, I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's good for some, like, big modern dance moves, you know? So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna we have to have a dance party. Kate Bush immediately yes. after this conversation. <laughs> I love her. And, you know, I just have a few songs on there, like, um, and so, yeah, for sure, dancing is a big part. And I'll dance in public, too. But, um, and Tammy, I know you know, like, Marley Grace was mm-hmm. a big influence for me on that. Because Marley Grace, yeah. um, who is, prou- you know, is proudly sober and talks about it on our Instagram. At least she did up until a couple yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, I get her newsletter I'm not sure day. she still yeah. does. But uh, anyways, she was, like, all about movement. And, and so... I kind of started getting into her and getting inspired. And you introduced I, me to I her. I can find Marley Grace because she's, she's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, my other tool obviously is writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like specifically like getting up early in the morning. I still haven't made it consistent, but I'm trying to. Because the mornings that I get up and I actually like work on my essays are the best. Like I can go through the rest of the day just being like, okay. Like I did what I was supposed to do today. Um, right, right. When you, know you start, feeling. yeah. When you do your, do your most meaningful shit first. Do exactly. it first. <laughs> and there's something about, I feel like when I can finally write about something, like I finally get ownership over the story and it doesn't own me. So hmm. there's something really powerful about that. Um, and it's, you know, I write about a lot of things. I do write about um, drinking and sobriety, but I also write about, um, a lot of other topics as well. So, um, anyways, so writing for me, for sure, not surprising. And then I would say there's so many other things in my toolkit as we've talked about, but, um, I guess like connecting with specifically with women who are sober, um, has been really important. And I was reminded of that, Tammy, we went, a couple weeks ago to see Laura McCowan um, uh, read from her new book. And it was so fun. Like that carload of (laughs) women going down there and driving. That was my favorite part about it. Um, We had connecting with new. Oh my gosh. We were laughing. So I like, I, (laughs) I miss that kind of laughing. You know, I feel like I don't, that was something I did so much in my like life in my twenties with my friends, like 
big belly. We used to call it just silent laughter where you're laughing so hard. You're not making <laughs> right. noise. You got five sober women in a Volvo, you know, talking about John Hamm and sweatpants, you know, it's really funny. <laughs> I was, oh. <laughs> it was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Google ridiculous. that, ladies. Just Google just John Ham jogging in gray sweatpants. You just Google that. <laughs> You're welcome. Let's just say that right now. You're welcome. Uh, no, oh but we just gosh. we laughed until we were crying. So <laughs> I'm just laughing yeah. right now. Oh, and it felt. I know. And some of this stuff, it was like, what were we even laughing at? But we just had this like whole like vibe going that was so great and so fun. And I just, you know, I encourage anyone who's out there, who's maybe early on, like make, make it, you know, it's worth like writing that email to -hmm. someone that you don't know. And it's scary and they might not write you back, but they probably will. Or um, texting someone that you just got to know and, and, just making, making friends that understand the choice that you've made. It's, I have a lot of friends from before I quit drinking who still drink and they're very important to me too, but I have to have that other group of people that understand. And so that's a huge part of my toolkit Hmm. toolbox. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much, Leilani. This is really great. I'm so grateful that you did email me and I'm so grateful to get to know you in real life. And get to ride in cars with you and laugh my ass off and hopefully dance in the very near future. Yeah. Oh, yes. There will be dancing. There will be dancing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Leilani. Oh, if, if, can people yeah. find you anywhere? Like, do you want, I know you're not on social, you're not on Instagram, but can people find your work or anything um, that you want to promote? Yeah, sure. So I, I have a website. It's Um I, it's basically just a holding place right now for my bio and links to my various food writing and culture writing and interviews that I've done with, uh, like I interviewed Cheryl Strayed early in her career. That was awesome. Story for another time. So you can (laughs) find a link on there to like the interview I did with Cheryl Strayed. And um, so that's a good place to find me. And then I'm, I am still on Twitter (laughs) And, Hmm. uh, and mainly because for like journalists and writers, there's just a lot of them on there. Right, right. And uh, so I'm just on Twitter at, at Lael Clark. It's L-E-I-L-C-L-A-R-K. Uh, but I don't, I don't tweet that often. I don't know. I, like I said, I have a contested relationship with social media. <laughs> and um, and those, are, those are the best places. And just like people can email me too. You know, okay. um, I can, you, we can put my email in the show notes and I'm totally happy to, to email back and forth. Or if, you really want we can hmm. exchange ma- snail mail addresses and write each other letters i love that <laughs> i do that with a few gals and i love that I love you know it. you're so good at that i'm so inspired by that i want to do more of it yeah well maybe you maybe you'll get your chance after this right <laughs> very true uh, but thank thanks. you so much for having me on this yeah. was i i your podcast unruffled has been a huge part of my journey as well. And I've listened to a lot of episodes, so it feels really special to have actually been on the show. Thank you. Oh, wonderful. So good to meet you, Leilani. All right. Have I a good I day. to meet you in person too. Yeah. Same. On the list. It'll happen. It'll, It'll happen. happen. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Leilani. All right. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.